as we uh, continue our journey through the hope of the prophets in this Christmas season. It's got me thinking. Christmas is a great time to, of year to be thankful for all our blessings, isn't it? It's a good time of year to be thankful. As I look at my own life, I mean, there are not a lot of places in this world where I can make a living and support a family just by sharing my love for Jesus and my desire to help others grow closer to him too. But here in the U.S., we're able to do that. And not only do that, but for many of us, you know, just to be born in America, I didn't ask to be born in America. I could have been born on the other side of the world. Is a huge blessing. And just a blessing as well that probably most of us here today find ourselves in wealth in the top 5% of people in the world. Most of us make more money than most of the rest of the world, many of whom are living on one, two, three dollars a day. So I have reason to be extremely thankful in this Christmas season. As I think about that, I also think about for some reason, it doesn't matter how good things are or how good my life is, there is always this undercurrent underneath that wants to pull me in another direction. There's this undercurrent that looks around and says, you know what, just things don't seem as good as they were in the good old days. We're struggling more today with inflation. We're struggling with COVID, the stress of, of uh, all the things going on politically in our lives. You know, we get fearful of the days we're living in and the instability we see. You know, just from whatever political tribe you're a part of, uh, one tribe is worried about being told they have to be vaccinated. The other tribe is worried about what occurred in the Capitol on January 6th and how do we make sure that doesn't happen again. And another tribe is worried about how can we even trust our voting to get the right results. And we continue to worry and fret and, and be stressed in so many ways. But brothers and sisters, as I think about it, we live in one of the greatest seasons of prosperity ever in human history. We have so much to be thankful for. I mean, we could instead have been living in the day of the prophet Micah. Micah goes back to 700 BCE, 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. And in his day, a new era was dawning, and it wasn't necessarily a good era. You see, up until this point in history, you had little nations that would kind of be strong, and, but they would tend to kind of stay near their borders. They didn't, they didn't really go out and become empires. But in Micah's day, things were changing, and empires were on the rise, and threats were at the door. At our text today, if you look in that very first verse, which is actually not part of the text I was going to read, you'll see what Micah shares. He says, Marshal your troops now, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. 
and they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. You see, Micah lived in a day when he looked around, he also saw incredible instability. He saw corruption in government. He saw people worshiping the wrong things. He saw violence in the streets. He saw rich people taking advantage of poor people. He saw all these things and believed that judgment was near. And so at the gates come a mighty Assyria and God's judgment on his people. In Micah's day, what it meant is that you had armies outside your walls and you were just hoping to survive another day. So brothers and sisters, how could Micah find hope in an age like that, in an age where empires are coming to take over. Maybe if he found hope in some way, maybe we might as well. And so that leads us to the text of the fifth chapter, where Micah's vision turns to hope with these words. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Now he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live in security for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace he will be our peace this is the word of God for you and me the people of God thanks be to God will you pray with me and for me Come, Lord Jesus, help as we celebrate your arrival this Christmas. Lord, help us take an honest look at who you are. That your hope may be very active in each and every heart here this morning and each and every heart listening online. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, as I shared, Micah really didn't have a lot to be hopeful about. A lot of Micah is the, the bad news, the tough news, that things weren't going well, the country was unstable, and as a result, uh, Syria was at the gates, and the results were not going to be good. In fact, the results were not good. Assyria ended up taking the northern tribe of Israel, whose base was Samaria, and carrying them far away. And to this day, not many ever came back. And so it was a hard time to live. But in the midst of this, Micah finds an incredible source of hope. And two pieces of this hope I want to look at a little deeper today, especially. And that is, one, he found hope not in the big city, not in the bustling metropolis, but Micah, Micah found hope in the itty-bitty, 
teeny tiny town of Bethlehem. In Bethlehem is where Micah placed his hope. Now, Bethlehem is the source, historically, before Micah arrived, of the greatest king in Israel's history, King David. King David grew up in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd of sheep in Bethlehem. He grew into a leader in Bethlehem and became identified with the golden age of the nation of Israel. But in light of that, Bethlehem was a teeny tiny town. Maybe once something incredible could happen, but surely not twice. That's too much to ask. If there was going to be a great leader to come, surely that leader would come out of Jerusalem where the kings of David lived and ruled. The sons of David lived and ruled. Surely some priest or some leader or some teacher or some person in Jerusalem would be the place to expect the hope of tomorrow. Or perhaps in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom and the capital of the northern kings and the northern tribes, uh, again, a powerful place filled with prosperity and uh, influence and all those things. Surely there is where the next great leader and king would come. But Micah says, no, I think it's going to be in Bethlehem, in the teeny tiny town. You know, I think good things can happen in small towns. Now, y'all, Conyers, y'all aren't a small town really anymore. I know you still probably think you are, but you're not. But maybe 40 years ago, you probably were considered a small town then. And as I was thinking about this, and the big names that have come out of Conyers, and I, I've learned even today, y'all have had several, but there's one that, that I kind of knew first off, and being a soccer fanatic, um, I knew that you had a small-town hero that came out of Conyers. Y'all know his name, right? Clint Mathis, right? Clint Mathis. He's six years younger than me, so I, I know we never played soccer against him. Um, but Clint Mathis grew up here in Conyers, went on to play professionally for 12, 13 years, and played in the 2002 World Cup, which still to this day is the World Cup where the United States went the furthest to the, I think they went to the, at least, maybe the Elite Eight. They went to the Elite Eight in 2002. Clint Mathis was a huge part of that. And... Uh, and a small-town hero. And as I think about Clint Mathis, you know, he, he was on the U.S. national team, scored 12 goals for the national team. What an incredible thing for Conyers to produce, a, you know, a, an athlete that cool and that neat and that great. But even me, someone who's not from Conyers, would know, I know who Clint Mathis is. And I know he's from here. Surely Conyers could... Could y'all sometime have another great soccer player come out? Now here, recently, you've had a, a big name, Tyler, uh, who was on the Olympic baseball team. And so we're keeping an eye on him and seeing how he aspires for the big leagues. But can lightning strike twice in a small town? Well, Micah thought it could. The second thing 
I notice about the text that intrigues me is how Micah places his hope on the birth of a baby. Did you notice that? Micah places his hope on the birth of a baby. Um, Isaiah does too. And that's kind of unusual. But something about it, they place their hope on the birth. And, and why this is kind of interesting to me is, I mean, how many of you in the last year have you pr- prayed for our country? You've prayed this kind of prayer. Lord, I pray for our future president of the United States that some baby might be born today that might grow up and be called to be president of the United States in such a way that that president might bring us together in unity and might help us be a better nation, be a president like we haven't had for 60, 70, 100 years. Right? How many of you pray that prayer? I haven't prayed that prayer. You know, my prayers tend to be, Lord, just find somebody. (laughs) Find anybody. You know, because... Like, probably like me, it doesn't matter how good a guy or lady the president is or could be. They just never quite match up, right? But for Micah, he places his hope on the next generation, and not only the next generation, but a birth and a baby, which is, to me, just an unusual kind of thing. But to me, one of the things it speaks about is... Micah's understanding that God orchestrates things in such a way that he has an eye in his providence on things we can't even foresee. And God's providence can mark out a baby being born and say, this child will be my prophet, this child will be my pastor, this child will be my missionary, this child will be my president, this child will be my judge, whatever it is, that, that God takes that providential note and, and God is at work behind the scenes with our children and our grandchildren from the day they're born. Isn't that amazing? That this guy, 700 years before Jesus, had already viewed life through that paradigm and perspective, something that we tend not to do. So who is this leader he hopes for? Well, he gives us some signs to look for so that when the leader shows up, hopefully we can recognize him. The first sign, he says, besides being born in Bethlehem, the second sign is whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And the word ancient times could, it's been translated eternity as well, from everlasting. So this has to be someone born that has a heritage that goes back deep, deep, deep in the past. Second thing he mentions here is that this will be a leader who brings the family back together. He restores the family of God. That will be a characteristic that he accomplishes. The third is is that he will be a good shepherd who stands firm and in the strength of his relationship with the Almighty is able to take our world of instability and bring about stability. Make life stable again as we hope in him. Then not only that, the effect of his rule must be a rule that encompasses 
to the ends of the earth. It must go beyond Israel's borders and begin to reach other borders too. And finally, this person must be a leader who is capable of not just bringing peace, but a person capable of being our peace. Wow! Where are we going to find a leader like that? Micah said these words in 700 B.C. And for 700 years, there was absolutely no candidate to take the stage. None at all. Assyria came and take, took over the world, and Israel went into exile. Babylon came several years later and took over the world and took, uh, destroyed the temple of Jerusalem and took the rest of the Jews into exile. Well, then after that, the Medes and the Persians came on the scene and they ruled the world. And then after that, Alexander the Great from Greece comes on the scene and he takes over the world and dies at like 20-something years old. And then in 40 B.C., Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar take over the world and set up the Roman Empire. 700 years of nothing. 2,000 years since nothing. To me, there is only one candidate that fits this bill, and his name is Jesus. The only one. But Jesus, the gospel writers tell us, Jesus should not have been born in Bethlehem. Where should Jesus have been born? In his hometown, in Nazareth. Nazareth was several hours north of Bethlehem. His family had no need to go to Bethlehem until Caesar Augustus comes on the scene and says, I want to take a census of everybody and you've got to register in your hometown. And so the Gospels tell us that Mary and Joseph, they get on a donkey and they go. And that's the only reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's totally beyond Jesus' control, right? He couldn't control that. He had to be born where he was going to be born. But the Gospels tell us he was born in Bethlehem. So that's number one. Number two, the origins from of old, from ancient times. And one time in John's Gospel, Jesus gets in a conversation with the Jewish people about Abraham, their forefather who lived in 1600 B.C. As they're talking, Jesus makes the comment, you know, when, Jesus, when Abraham was around, you know, I was right there with him. And they scratched their heads and they said, Jesus, what in the heck are you talking about? You're only 30 years old. Abraham was around 16, 1700 years ago. And then Jesus says, well, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And in that comment, Jesus reflects that he sees his heritage from eternity. And in that comment, the Israelites took up stones to stone him because they knew that in that comment he was claiming to be more than a 30-year-old human being. He was claiming that his origins were from everlasting. Not just that, he'd be a restorer of Israel. 
And in restoring Israel, even to this very day, there are Jewish believers all over the world who have said yes to Jesus as their Messiah, Messianic Jews, who continue to affirm that life's best is found with him as King and Lord. And not just that, but that his, uh, his leadership would nurture us as the Good Shepherd. That reminds me of John chapter 10, where Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. Those who, uh, those who listen for my voice will follow me. And so again, Jesus connects his life back with what Micah teaches 700 years before. Not only that, he goes on and says that uh, his kingdom will bring stability and reach to the end of the earth. And Jesus has brought stability to every heart and every life that has said yes to him for the last 2,000 years. His kingdom has to reach to the end of the earth. Today, we have brothers and sisters who follow Jesus and call him Lord in some way, shape, or form. Three billion of us on this planet, in some way, shape, or form, follow Jesus. Not only that, but the faith continues to grow in South America, continues to thrive in Africa. Africa probably will be the biggest Christian continent in the world before too long. And the Christian faith continues to thrive in places like China, where there's oppression for it, but it still grows. Even in places like the Middle East, the, the seat of Islam continues to have people come to a place where they follow Jesus, or they would say Isa as Lord. His kingdom continues to spread to the end of the earth. And finally, he is our peace. As Isaiah shares, he is the prince of peace. And as our hope turns away from the unstable things, the things we can't control, as it turns away from fears and frauds, instead, if our faith will keep an eye on Jesus. Let him be our hope. Then we join him and we can become a light of love and compassion and goodness in this world. Brothers and sisters, we need Jesus. We need the hope of Micah. There is nowhere else to look. You know, I think about things going on in our world today and and just worries about COVID and worries about all sorts of things. Worries about racism. Worries about how to teach race in school. Worry, I mean, we just, we find things to worry about. You know, it's sad. One of the hardest uh, funerals I ever had to do was an elderly man who got so worried about what he saw in the news that he ended his life. You know? When we look around on the news today and see uh, that on planes, people are getting into fights with the flight attendants because they're on edge. 
when we see at school board meetings people getting into fights with the school board leaders because we're on edge. We just see a deep and desperate need to get our eyes on the right person in the right place. And the one born in Bethlehem is the answer to Micah's prayers. He's been the answer to my prayers. He is my hope. May he be your hope too. And may this Christmas, may we remember how good he is. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, you're mysterious and amazing, and we, we cannot fathom who you are. We cannot fathom what it means that Micah could talk about you 700 years before your birth. But Lord, as we see today, you're the only one who fit the bill of a leader of hope and peace and stability. And so, Lord, in troubled hearts this morning, here and around the world, may we make place to keep our eyes on you so that you may be our peace, so that you may bring stability to our crazy lives, to things going on in our crazy nation, and so that we will remember that we are blessed and that you're with us. And as long as we hope in you, there is nothing you cannot raise us up to overcome. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The altar is always open. If the Lord tugs at your heart, I invite you to come down during the song and just offer a prayer. The Lord is always